Welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. We pray that this may be a blessing to you, and God's Word would dwell richly within your heart. As we move through the season of Lent, we trace our Lord's movement through his earthly ministry to the cross. While doing so, we see our Lord Jesus waging war against the evil spiritual forces aligned against him. We see him as our champion come to fight whom God himself elected, as our hymn said. We see how all that he has done, all that he was doing in as he went to the cross, where he took our sin upon himself, giving himself over to death, where he defeated sin, death, and the devil for us by his death. And so as we begin Lent, we see our Lord's temptation in the wilderness and the account of our first parents' temptation and fall into sin in the garden. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, writes Moses. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And while he writes the serpent, we can tell from further context of the passage, as well as from the rest of the scriptures, that this serpent was no ordinary serpent, but was in fact a serpent possessed by or under the control worked by Satan, through whom he was speaking. Throughout this temptation, we see the ways in which the devil presents temptations to sin. He approaches Eve in a kindly way. He does not immediately present her with the temptation of gross sin, saying, why don't you go and taste of that fruit of the tree of which God said, you shall not eat. But instead, he leads her to it through the twisting of God's word. Has God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? The devil knew full well that God did not indeed say that. He knew that God had rather said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. This was the original word of God for Adam and Eve in paradise. It was their scripture, although it was not written down. It was their law and gospel. They may freely eat of every tree of the garden. God will make the trees grow and produce in abundance so that they never need to worry about food. They must only not eat of a single tree. This command of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat was their singular command. For the rest of the law, they already fulfilled because of their original righteousness. This word of God was their worship, for by their obedience to it, they offered themselves as spiritual sacrifices to God. As God would later say through the prophet Samuel to Saul, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Satan knew this, and he knew the importance of the command to Adam and Eve, and he knew how they were to treasure this word from God. And so that is why he attacks it first. He twists it as he always does. When he tempted our Lord Jesus, he said, It is written, 
He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. In our psalm, which was quoted in our gradual, we see the full verse, the part which Satan also left out. For after it says, he will give his angels charge over you, it says, to keep you in all your ways. He twists the scripture, even when tempting our Lord Jesus Christ, who as God gave the scripture to mankind through the prophets. So too he twists the scriptures to lead others away from the good gifts of God. Did God indeed say, this is my body? Surely bread cannot be the body of Christ. It must only be a remembrance. Or he argues, did God indeed say, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more? If grace abounds, then God must love to forgive sins, and so you're free to seek out sin so that God may be happy to forgive it. Satan is always twisting the scriptures, taking them out of contexts, adding to them, mixing them up so that we might be led away from the pure word of God to something else. Our text continues, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Having begun with a twisting of God's word, he introduces doubt concerning it. Eve does not say, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, but she says, lest you die. She is now not quite certain that they will die if they eat of the fruit. There's a fear of it, but she's no longer certain. Now the devil strikes. Having begun to have Eve doubt God's word, he moves to have her doubt God himself. Satan tries to get her to stop trusting God and instead trust him. He says that God is lying. God is keeping them from something better. God does not love them or care for them or desire the best for them. Instead, he wants to keep them from being the best that they can be. This too, Satan will ultimately tempt all with. For all sin stems from unbelief, from a lack of trust in God, no matter how brief that lapse is. And so we see here, before Eve had even taken the fruit to eat of it and give to her husband that he might eat as well, she had already sinned once she agreed to the devil's lie that God was lying to them. There, she no longer trusted God, but instead trusted Satan. When she looked at the tree and judged it as good for food, when her heart saw it as pleasant to the eyes, and when her will desired the fruit to make her wise in evil by the practicing of evil, when she finally took of the fruit and ate it, these were all the fruits of her lack of trust in God, her lack of faith. Yet you must know, brothers and sisters, that the devil's temptations must not always end in this way. That is why this and other accounts were written for our instruction, so that we may learn from them, so that by God's grace we may avoid the same end. And so know, brothers and sisters, that with every temptation that the devil plots, the Lord in his mercy provides a way of escape. 
God is faithful, St. Paul writes, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. St. James writes for us that when we face temptations, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the light of the devil's temptations, St. Peter writes, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. As to how much God cares for us, we will see as we continue in our text. But first, let us look and see how far we have fallen with our first parents when they fell into sin, when the devil, that liar and murderer, brought Adam and Eve into rebellion along with him. In the beginning, Adam and Eve had all had what we call original righteousness. They naturally feared, loved, and trusted in God above all things. They naturally desired to fulfill his will, to worship him, to glorify him, and to heed his voice. They lived in the midst of the garden of God, and all their needs were provided for in abundance. There was work. They had to work the garden, but it was not laborious work. It was not toilsome. It was fulfilling. There was no pain, no sadness, but joy and perfect contentment, and all desires that they had were only good. We need only to look at ourselves, let alone the world around us, to see how far the fall has taken us. Now we are born not in righteousness, but in sin, after the manner of our father Adam, after his fall. The natural desires of man are no longer to fear and love and trust in God, but are rather against him, and by our own powers, in fact, we cannot fear, love, and trust in him. The heart is now stubborn and deceitful. Now thorns and thistles grow from the earth, making work difficult. We grow old. Our bodies and our minds wear down. There is pain, sadness, sickness, greed, and desires that do not seek to serve God or others, but instead seek only to serve ourselves. How truly did the anonymous medieval hymnist write, in the midst of life we are in death. And we see some of the effects of this prophecy this morning. In the prophecy, rather, this morning. After eating of the fruit, the eyes of both were opened. Indeed, just as sin at first seems pleasant and a very little thing before it has been committed, after the fact, the gravity of it sinks in. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, or in the wind of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Two things are immediately apparent here. First, the fear. Before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve had a righteous and holy fear of God, but because they were righteous, they delighted in his presence. Now, at the sound of the wind, at the sound of the rustling of the leaves, they are terrified. They fear that God is coming to punish them, and they rightly fear his judgment. They did not do this before. And so their fear drives them to do something absolutely ridiculous. They try to hide in the midst of the trees. They try to hide from their almighty and all-knowing creator, in the midst of a manicured garden, 
like a child hiding behind a curtain from their parents after they have broken something. Secondly, we see their shame. Adam and Eve were naked before they sinned. However, there was no shame for them. Before the fall, they had no lust. They would have instead glorified God for the beauty of his creation. Now their nakedness shames them. They see each other not in terms of God's creation and beauty, but they see one another in terms of what they can get for themselves. They also realize their own physical weakness, and so they try to hide those parts that are weak. But there is more than just fear and shame. They also take no accountability for their actions. When God gently questions them to have them to give them an opportunity to repent and confess their sins to him, they do not do so. Rather, they blame others, and ultimately they blame God. Adam says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. He blames Eve, saying, The woman gave me the fruit. But he also blames God. The woman you gave me. If you hadn't made her God, I would have been just fine. Likewise, also Eve does not take responsibility. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It wasn't my fault. God, if it wasn't for that serpent, if you hadn't made him so clever, I would have been just fine. Oh, how far they had fallen. How far we have fallen. So that natural man is no longer, is not born righteous, but wholly corrupted by sin. Who can we go to for aid? Only to the Lord, our God. Hear how he speaks to the serpent, compared to how gently he spoke to Adam and Eve. Hear how he speaks to the serpent, knowing that it is Satan, who has already rebelled against him and brought a third of the angels with him into sin, and has now introduced the poison of sin to those creatures created in God's image. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all of the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The devil is confirmed in his sin and rebellion. There is no repentance for him. There is no atonement. There is no hope. He has rebelled against God, and now he has deceived Eve, spreading sin. But while speaking to the devil... God also speaks the promise of the gospel for Adam and Eve and all of their children. In this statement, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God tells Satan of his coming defeat, but he does not say when, so that Satan must always worry about the one to come who will crush him. Yet it also gives hope to Adam and Eve. It gives them hope that there will be one born of woman who will defeat the devil. This one, this seed, will suffer, but he will overcome. Each generation then, from Adam and Eve to that of Mary, rejoiced in this promise. And now each generation afterwards rejoices in its fulfillment. For our Lord Jesus Christ is the promised one. He was born in not according to the normal way of man and woman, but he is born of the Holy Spirit. He took his flesh only from his mother, so that he is properly only her seed, her descendant. He is God and man in one person, having two distinct 
natures. His divine nature, which he had always had from eternity, and the human nature, which he assumed in the womb of his mother Mary. His public ministry begins with his baptism, where God reveals to John the Baptist that this Jesus is his son, in whom he is well pleased. After this, he is brought by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for forty days and forty nights and be tempted by the devil. Then, hungry and in the wilderness, surrounded by wild animals, he overcomes the devil's temptations. While Adam and Eve fell in the midst of plenty and abundance, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is rightfully called the second Adam, resisted and overcame the devil's temptations in a land devoid of good. During his life, he also actively fulfilled all of the law of God, showing his perfect righteousness. Everything that Adam and Israel failed to do, Jesus fulfilled. This he did in our stead and for us. And then, bearing our sin, he went to the cross where he laid down his life. Here is the bruising of his heel as he deals the crushing blow to Satan's head by giving his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. On the third day he rose again, proving his righteousness and our justification by faith in him. Our Lord Jesus told a parable during his life that shows what he has done to rescue us. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own place, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger man comes, Upon him and overcomes him, he takes from his he takes from him all his armor, in which he trusted, and he divides the spoil. In this, Satan is the strong man. He held all the world in his enthrall. He saw humanity as his possession because of their sin. But Christ has come, the stronger one. He overcomes Satan both in his temptation in the wilderness but chiefly on the cross. In this, he is one salvation for us poor children of Adam and Eve. In this, he rescues us from sin, death, and the devil, and divides the spoil with us. We who could have not delivered ourselves, but rather only be delivered over to death because of our sin, have been rescued by the work of Christ in our stead. He has rescued us from death by his death. He divides the spoils with us so that all that is his, he makes ours. All of this, all of this that is ours, that is sinful, he takes to the cross. All of this is received by faith. By faith, by trust in him, we receive his righteousness. When we come to faith, he becomes for us a new Adam, a new head, so that we are united to him and in him. By faith we receive his righteousness, we receive his forgiveness, his pardon, and his peace. May God grant that we ever remain steadfast in faith through his Son, Jesus Christ, that we may be equipped always for our spiritual battle, so that in the time of temptation we may resist the devil, and through Christ overcome it. And when we sin, when we fall, may he always bring us to repentance, and give us an ever-deepening trust in him through whom we have the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Thanks be to God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, 
Guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless and preserve you always. Amen.